listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, Lakers fans? Recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, Lakers got a pretty easy 137-121 win over the lowly Minnesota Timberwolves on Tuesday. Back at it Thursday against LaMelo Ball and the Charlotte Hornets. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us pretty much anywhere you get your fix on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, Harrison, Christian, and Sabrina got you covered throughout the season at silverscreenandroll.com. Joining me today is some special guests. Staples of the LA sports media community, I would say, the Kamenetsky brothers. I'm going to let you all go. I'm not going to say Brian or Andy, whoever wants to jump in first. What's going on, you guys? This is Andy. Uh, Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, not much. Thanks for asking. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. But just uh, before we we kind of jump into the Lakers talk, uh, you guys can check out Brian and Andy's Late Night Happy Hour. That comes on Monday to Friday at 10 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, that is. And also the Lando Lakers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, so check them out there when you get the chance to. want to jump into this with you guys first. We're looking at the team since Anthony Davis got hurt. He's been gone since the Valentine's Day loss to the, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, six and six since then. Won three in a row now. But... Obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it with any time an NBA team, you're missing a talent like Anthony Davis. Obviously, there's going to be a drop off, but they have seemed to have picked things up over the last three games. What do you guys noticing? And I'll start, Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, what do you think is, is has been the most noticeable difference without Davis on the court in terms of an X's and O's type of uh, scenario? Well, I, I just think the biggest problem, and this is, you know, this isn't necessarily new for the team, whether you're talking about this year or even going back to last year's. They're not a great offensive team. I mean, it's 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 a group that's built around kind of the the skill of LeBron and the skill of AD and the 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 amount of attention that those guys require, both as one on one players and, and you know, especially in the case of LeBron as a passer. And when you take one of those guys away, it just it it starts to limit the offense, and they they tend to have trouble scoring. Now, of course, the Minnesota game was not a great example of that. Uh, the Timberwolves will uh, make a lot of teams look good. And, you know, Lakers shot fifty seven percent; they were fifty uh, percent from the three point line. So, you know, that was not a great example of it. But overall, I think when you take Davis away, that's really been the biggest impact. Defensively, they've been fine. There's they were the number one defensive team when Davis was there and they're still the number one defensive team by a fair amount over Philadelphia. Um, so I, I think that to me is the biggest distinction. Andy, when we're looking at like, just looking over the numbers, their three point shooting, it's only down a couple of percent since, since AD has been gone. But uh, like you mentioned, Brian, they, they've lacked, it, it looks out of sync sometimes, especially on the offensive end. And, and w- especially when LeBron's not on the floor and we saw those games where Schroeder was out and the team would look just, completely discombobulated when, when you're looking at ad and his presence how much of it does it change do you think for for the lakers just from the like the his teammates the mindset of having a guy like ad on the court compared to not having him there well i mean to begin everything just becomes more difficult for them i mean the the amount of attention that ad gives the amount of defenders that have to really dial in on him which which means that other guys are going to have better looks that all changes and all of those guys have to be incrementally better than really what their role is supposed to be. You know, guys like Alex Caruso or, you know, uh, KCP, or even I'd say uh, a rung above with Montrez Harrell or Dennis Schroeder, they're all slated to do certain things of varying skill level, but they're not expected to elevate beyond that. 
But if AD isn't there, or if you're talking about some of these games where it wasn't just AD, you're talking about no Schroeder, no Mark Gasol, no Alex Caruso, then guys have to be better than really they are. And sometimes that means that they have to do more than they're actually capable of. And that really messes up everything that happens on the court. We're looking at, you guys mentioned Caruso should be back. They're expecting him back in the lineup sooner than later. One guy I want to talk about with, with you, like you're saying, Andy, there is, is having these guys step up, Kyle Kuzma. And I remember this last season too. It seemed like whenever AD was out, it was like, damn, Kuzma, Kuzma's playing awesome. You know what I mean? And then when AD comes back, then he's going back to you know, 10, 11 points per game. When you look at his growth as a player, do you think he's reached um, his kind of his ceiling right now? Like what we're, what we're seeing is what we're going to get from Kyle Kuzma for the next four or five years. Uh, Brian, you can answer that. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think this is, I don't think he's necessarily on a trajectory to become, you know, some high end scorer where he, you know, develops into a, a an all-star or anything like that. He's, you know, he's a little bit older by NBA terms uh, for that sort of thing to be happening. And then the flip side of that is I don't think he'll have the opportunity if he stays in LA uh, at least, you know, through the, maybe the length of this contract extension that he signed. I, I feel like this is the max kind of the realization of what he can be for the Lakers um, on a different team. Maybe he has more scoring responsibility. Maybe he evolves into that, you know, secondary score or third score on a team that a lot of picture people pictured him being uh, when he broke into the league. But here with this Lakers team, as long as Anthony Davis and, and LeBron are there, there isn't a space for him to become a, a really high end scorer. And Schroeder, quite frankly, is better at it, I think, than Kuz is. So, yeah, I think this is this role for him is perfect. You know, he can go out, he can score a little bit when they need it. His shooting is much better this year than it has been in the last couple, and he's really provided a ton of energy as a as a rebounder, as a you know, as a, as a guy who cuts and moves and plays defense at a much higher level. So he fills an incredibly important role on this team, even while the numbers aren't necessarily eye popping. And I think it's just because he feels comfortable. He knows he's getting paid. He knows he theoretically has a future here and a role here, even if uh, it's not what people design for him, or he's going to go and get paid, you know, be paid somewhere else. Uh, I just feel like that security and getting that contract extension before the year started has been huge for him. Yeah, we've seen the maturation of, of Kyle Kuzma, especially over the last couple of seasons, you know, before LeBron had arrived and, and even his first season, uh, he had he had the tools and, uh, you know, people would say this, oh, you know, he's putting up 20 a game before LeBron came. It's like, yeah, well, the Lakers weren't a very good team. I, I remember, you know, being from Canada, Mike James scored Mike 20, James. Yeah, yeah, yes. scored 20 points a game for the Raptors. He parlayed that to a big deal. With the he's our go to guy. He's our go to guy uh, for this example a lot. I, mean, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I mean, I feel I would say I feel bad for him for becoming the poster boy for this. But the only reason he's the poster boy for this is he got so paid. So in that sense, I don't feel bad for him at all, but it, it, it's never great to be considered uh, the, the sort of prototype example of this. Well, and, and that's where bring, going back to Kuz, like you're mentioning, like, I mean, again, I'm not, Kuz didn't parlay that into a big deal with, with a bottom feeding team and, and end up, you know, being a basically an albatross of a contract. But uh, Andy, I did want to ask about, about Kuzma. Like we said, you know, he's, he's grown up a lot over the last few seasons. 
How much of an impact do you think playing alongside guys at the level of LeBron James and Anthony Davis do you think has helped his game kind of become what it is now? And like you mentioned, just the mental side of it that he looks a lot more comfortable, not just relying on trying to score 20 points, but making the right play on defense, uh, you know, reading the play and, and, and maybe not taking a shot and making the extra pass. Well, I mean, it's interesting when you asked Brian earlier about the idea of whether or not he's hit his ceiling. I think Kuzma has likely, as Brian said, hit his ceiling when it comes to scoring for this team, you know, just as a pure scorer, the way he was seen early in his career, when frankly, a lot, a lot of the excitement just came from him being found money. I mean, nobody expected him to come out of the gate that hot at that draft position. But what I do think he where I do think the ceiling hasn't potentially been hit is just as an overall player, like as a well-rounded player, which to Kuzma's credit, he's always talked about wanting to be ever since he was a rookie. And ever since everybody focused so much on the scoring, he always talked about wanting to be a guy that could make plays for other people and being reliable defensively, even though early in his career, he was honestly God awful on that side of the ball. But he, I think it helps when you're playing alongside LeBron and AD in part because, like I said before, the amount of attention they get makes everything else easier. But also, too, there, there's an accountability with the stakes raised. And I've actually talked with Kuzma about this before. Like, he recognizes he's the only one of the kids that is still around from that core of young players with Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, D'Angelo Russell, Larry Nance Jr. down the line. Julius Randle, really fun and for a while exciting core for, for the Lakers. He's the one that's still there. And he, he knows that he could be somewhere else putting up maybe 20 points a night, but losing. And once you get a taste of winning, most guys want to keep tasting it. And, and I think we're seeing that with Kuzma. And like Brian said, he's got financial security now. So he can really just dig into the idea of how can I be as good of an overall well-developed player as, as possible. He, he seems to enjoy this aspect of it more than he might have, a, you know, even just last year, much less a couple seasons ago. It's funny you're saying that he got financial security. It's like he signed a three-year, $40 million deal. We'd be financially secure with a million. You know what I mean? So it depends on the uh, depends on the man, I guess. But uh, I want to ask you guys this too, because the Lakers made so many changes, you know, and, and it was, it, I don't want to say it was surprising. You know, we saw them let go of JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, uh, Rajon Rondo, they brought in Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, uh, which is another guy I want to ask you. He's asked you guys about uh, Brian, you know, he's been averaging 24 points a game over the last four, just a shade under that. Uh, what do you think is, is starting to go right for, for Trez over, over the last couple of weeks? And I mean, he was playing well towards the end of February as well, but compared to the start of the season, why do you think he's been able to, to put up better numbers and just look like he's, he's fitting in more with this squad than he was to, to start the season? Well, some of it I think is just is opportunity. I mean, you, you look at, at Trez and his minutes, you know, he played 29 minutes against Minnesota. He played uh, 25 against Golden State, 32 against Indiana, 33 against Sacramento. So that is above the, you know, the, the, the amount that he's played over the course of the year. I mean, I think it's about, he's around, it was around 22 or 23 minutes a game before that. So some of it's opportunities, spending more time on the court. And then there's the opportunity of being a guy who is, you know, without AD and for a stretch without Schroeder, he's, he's needed to score. That skill set is very important to Lakers. He's a good player. I mean, I think this is part of Andy pointed this out on Twitter uh, during the Minnesota game. It, we get 
locked up so much as sort of an NBA commentary group, you know, NBA Twitter, whoever it is, pointing out what guys don't do. And you know what? Montrose Harrell is not a great defender. There are times where you can't have him on the floor because he's going to be overmatched by larger players, uh, whatever it might be. But that shouldn't come at the expense of what he's very, very good at. And he is an excellent, excellent scorer, uh, particularly down on the block. You know, he's, he's, he's got a lot of, of um, you know, good moves, good footwork, very solid with his post play. You know, his face-up game this year has been much more than I think people expected it would be. You know, the little mid-range jumper has been a good weapon for him. And he moves very well without the ball. So he makes himself available for, you know, whether it's Schroeder, whether it's LeBron, whoever it might be out of that dunker spot, especially. So he's just, he's an excellent player. There's a reason he's been a six man of the year and, you know, runner up and all that other kind of stuff. And I think we're just getting a chance to see that in a less cluttered way um, with the, the, the absences the Lakers have had over the last, you know, stretch of games. And Andy, I want to ask you about the new guys that we bought in and which one has been the most disappointing to you overall? I mean, I know people aren't happy with what we've seen from Marcus all he's, he's missed some time with the, uh, due to the health and safety protocols. But, uh, again, I don't think anybody was expecting Gasol to come in and be the guy that he was, you know, even two, three years ago with the Raptors, but out of the new guys, you know, you're looking at Marcus all Wes Matthews, Schroeder, uh, like you mentioned, Trez, which one has been the most disappointing to you overall? Um, I would say Wes Matthews, just because. The, the shot isn't there and, you know, or it's not there consistently. Um, he, he tends to, for what it's worth, at least the last time I checked, uh, be better from outside the more shots he takes. So some of this, I think, is just incumbent upon him to let fly more. And I think his defense has been fine. I, I don't think it's been spectacular, but I think it's actually been better than a lot of people piling on him um, have made it out to be. But it's been magnified the the three point struggles with the Lakers really needing that shot to be there, and he hasn't been a presence that way. Gasol is interesting. Like I think defensively, Mark Gasol has actually been a lot better than uh, people have been giving him credit for, and I think the aesthetics of Mark Gasol Mark Gasol are so much different than what we had as a back line with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, who were very similar in being more athletic, more springy, you know, these emphatic shot blocks, you know, they, they were rim presences on both sides of the ball. And that just isn't Mark Gasol, but he actually is a good deterrent in the lane defensively. I, I always refer to him as the world's most intimidating traffic cone because <laughs> like he doesn't move at all, but yeah. he manages to get in the way when things are, uh, when opponents are trying to attack the rim his shot blocking numbers are actually basically identical as Gasol and Howard, but where I yeah, think he's blocking the same amount of shots as JaVale. I mean, it's right. for, for all the hand wringing, but I, but where I do think Gasol has been disappointing is I had really high hopes of him becoming more of a presence offensively, you know, as a hub facilitating, you know, with that outside shot. And, and to his credit, he was starting to become more of that presence than then he ended up in the protocol but he's got to be more assertive offensively and, and has to make himself more accountable. Like e even if he's not scoring 15 a night, he can be somebody that defenses have to pay attention to if they know his passing is going to be a thing. And they know that he's actually going to put up shots from outside for a lot of the season. There hasn't been enough of either. 
Brian, do you think that's a result of him being, is this maybe the system and finding his footing or is it because he just, you know, I mean, again, he's, he's 36 years old. Is it just something that, okay, he, he just got to that age and, and he's hitting his wall um, at this time, or is there something you think maybe Frank Vogel could be doing differently to, to enhance and bring those skills out a little bit more? Like you mentioned, he's not a bad outside shooter overall for his career. Uh, great passing big man. Uh, his assist ratio is, is one of the best on the team, I believe right now. So what, what do you think Frank Vogel maybe could be doing differently to bring that out of him more? I, I don't know. I mean, Nick Nurse wanted to do it last year too. And, you know, he didn't. He just, you know, go back and ask Raptors fans about their frustration at Gasol offensively last year. And it was there. He, they, they wanted him to shoot more than he did, and he didn't. Uh, particularly in the playoffs, he really started to to sort of shut down in that way. And so I don't know. I, 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 I cannot believe for a second that, you know, Vogel and the coaching staff aren't telling him, shoot the ball when you're open, shoot the ball. Um, when you're even kind of open, shoot the ball because we need you to do it. Um, he just, for whatever reason, has evolved into a player who is a little bit more hesitant to find his own offense. Um, I don't know why. Uh, we haven't really, you know, obviously with the protocols and all that, we just haven't really had a chance to to be around him a lot. He's not given to media a, a whole lot. I mean, Brian, Andy, how many times do you think Gasol's been on a Zoom call this year? Four, not, three, four, I mean, five? Yeah, not many. <laughs> and then uh, during this period in the protocol, even less. And then there was an all-star game. Right. So, I mean, it's just, he's just not – we haven't had a chance to ask. Um, but I, it's not coaching. I will tell you it's not coaching, even without having, you know, confirmed it. It is not coaching. This is Vogel a apologist. Thing. <laughs> uh, yes yes i am and it's this is 100 percent a gasol thing yeah do you do you agree with that yes absolutely um, well, but then again i'm also a total vogel apologist so who knows well it's funny i remember i think it was after the uh which loss was it i was i was doing a podcast after the i think it was after that uh the denver loss and people were like fire frank vogel i'm like dude just won a championship stop, last stop. year and relax yeah like you know everybody but just take it easy it's funny though you know this this thing with Gasol and Andy, you know, talking about the offense and, and, you know, some of the defensive numbers, it gets to something that I know this was an issue. Andy and I were debating with somebody yesterday on, on Twitter, and it comes up constantly is this idea that the Lakers are, they miss Dwight and they miss JaVale because, you know, they don't have rim protection. The defense is suffering. And folks, the defense is just as good, if not better than it was last year in a year where offense is up and defense is down. The Lakers are, by more than two points um, per per hundred trips, better than the Sixers, who are the second best team in the league defensively. That is a massive margin between one and two, and they've done this without Anthony Davis literally for a, you know a, now however many games that this is, is like how many are we on like 16, 17 games or whatever it is. Um, they've been they've twelve without him. Yeah, twelve straight without AD, and then there there's a few more. You know when he was gone, he didn't came back. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, so there's that. And then, you know, even when Davis was playing, he was not going full throttle. So they've, they're, they're excellent defensively where they miss Dwight and then where they miss JaVale is on offense where they get four, five, 10 cheap points a game with lobs and, you know, plays off the pick and roll finishes on the break and all that kind of stuff. The, the Lakers struggle to score. That's where they are not as good as other teams other elite teams and those eight points a game were really helpful. And that's what they're not getting from those guys, but nobody looks at that side. They just look at block shots like Andy was saying, and, and people are just missing the, 
they're kind of missing the story here. Well, as we know, NBA fans are, are exactly not the most rational, right? <laughs> so you guys probably deal with that enough on Twitter. So uh, I do want to, you guys are mentioning uh, JaVale and, and Dwight Howard. Um, I want to jump into some potential before the trade deadline, as well as bio candidates. Let's do that after a short break. All right. And we are back uh, just discussing what the Lakers can be doing here leading up to the 25th, which is, which is the NBA trade deadline this year. Uh, you guys were mentioning, you know, Marcus all again, I, you know, I don't think that we're going to see him come out and, and be anything different or, or better as the season progresses. I think he is what he is at this point. Uh, but the Lakers, you know, they've been linked to virtually everyone who's, who's out there. You know, JaVale McGee, if he gets bought out in Cleveland, the team can't trade for him uh, because he, he was there last season. Then you also got a guy like Hassan Whiteside in, in, in Sacramento, Andre Drum, Drummond, another guy. Which of those, uh, Andy, do you think would be the best fit for the Lakers if they're able to have their choice of who to bring in? <laughs> I it's it's an interesting question that idea of the ba- of that reinforcement at center because I don't know where any of these guys serve as a clean fit. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. it, you're looking at all this from the perspective of the Lakers at full strength, and because if they're not at full strength, particularly if Anthony Davis isn't Anthony Davis, a lot of this just becomes academic theoreticals because they're not likely to win a championship. Like they need. AD to be AD and you know they need everybody else healthy as well and accountable as well like Andre Drummond I think has the most talent in terms of all these names that you're talking about but I don't know exactly where he's going to play unless Frank Vogel has decided that Marcus Gasol simply isn't working anymore or you know Montrez Harrell isn't working anymore because AD is going to close out games down the stretch that matter at the five. So there's a chunk of minutes right there. Somebody's going to be playing, you know, backup five minutes. So you're talking about a role that's an awkward 10 to 15 minutes a night, unless the rotation is drastically going to be reconfigured. So in some ways, I I would say who would be most satisfied with that? Like if Andre Drummond, for example, is cool with the idea of you are not going to be in a featured role despite, you know, your relative profile around the league, are you good with that? And he, the answer is genuinely yes. Then I would bring in Drummond because he's the most talented. If you're talking about guys who may chafe at their role or, you know, like Whiteside looking to extend his career, Drummond looking to get that next contract, then the answer might be JaVale McGee because you know that he's willing to do this because we just saw him do it last year. And we, and we know that he fits in there. Like, the, the Lakers have, to be honest, more of a need for somebody like Trevor Ariza, who today ended up getting moved to the Miami Heat uh, for the exiled uh, Myers Leonard. But like, that's actually, those are cleaner fits in terms of guys that you're trying to, to fit in there. The Lakers have been linked to a lot of big men, but truth be told, I'm not exactly sure where a lot of these guys actually fit in. Brian, do you feel do you feel the same way? Because I'm I'm looking at a guy, even like you mentioned, uh, Andy. You're talking about you know um, <clears throat> Javale McGee and 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 Drummond. I think his his skill set would would suit the team. But again, he's not going to be playing major minutes, and he's not going to be a focal point of the offense. But Brian, you're even looking at a guy like PJ Tucker who can come in, and we saw him play small ball five. Didn't really work out too well for the Rockets last season. But uh, a guy like him, like is there is there one particular player out there that you think that okay that would be the guy that that would best suit that need for the Lakers? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I think what they can just use is a little bit more talent. And like Andy said, like it's not so much like can I play Andre Drummond 
with Anthony Davis, you know, for a lot of those center lines, sure. And you know, maybe Gasol sits less, but like, then what do you do with Trez? Um, you know, you're not going to leave him on the bench. It's just, you know, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge could serve a function for them yeah. offensively, particularly that um, could be really useful. And again, he's not a good, he's not a good defender. This never really was, but he's really not a good defender anymore. Um, but the Lakers have a little bit of wiggle room on that side to absorb somebody like like Aldridge and try to protect him in the same way that, that broadly speaking, they protect Harrell, who is, by the way, a better defender than, than Aldridge. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, but like, I, if they can add talent, I think they will be okay. And how much that talent ultimately helps. I it's almost impossible to say, because like Andy's saying, like they're the, whoever it is, is not joining a, a team with a clear hole that needs to be filled. If Davis is back and healthy, the Lakers have a full front court rotation. And, you know, to some degree, it's not going to, to change no matter who they bring in. And, you know, is somebody like Tucker going to be able to play big minutes? I don't know. Um, but if his shot is falling, like it hasn't been this year, then maybe he certainly seems like a guy who uh, has not been happy with his situation and then perhaps a change of scenery might do What's some not good. to like? Yeah, I, I don't know. Row, I mean, right? it's, it's everything's so happy over there right now. <laughs> Prima Donna, so, man. Like, come on. You know, I mean, I guess guys, I mean, you know, you guys would agree. Like, he's somebody who projects to be better in his new location, wherever that is. But remember, last year, Mark Heath sucked until the playoffs. Mm. Like, genuinely sucked. And um, and for most of the time when he was playing, I think the expectation was that he wasn't going to be all that useful. And then he was. And so I, I, I'm obviously intrigued by the question, but I, I don't know how much ultimately the answer is going to matter. I would just say, find the best player that you can. And if they're willing to come play here, great. And I think one, one, like the three of us will agree on this. I mean, the deficiencies that we're seeing and, and the stuff, it's all it, without Anthony Davis. Yeah. That's a big, big, big loss. And once he returns, you know, things, things will be different and we might not be having, you know, these conversations if, if the Lakers, instead of being six and six are nine and three or 10 and two over their last 12 games with, with a healthy Davis, uh, mm -hmm. assuming that AD is back. I mean, the latest report is he's going to be out a at least three more weeks, potentially some more time uh, as he's recovering, which I think is the right thing to do. Just make sure he's healthy, maybe get at least three to four weeks of games in before the playoffs start. So he, he's at an optimal conditioning level. Andy, I'll ask you this. If you're looking around the West and the East, pick one team from each conference that you look at from a Lakers perspective and say, man, I don't know if like those teams are going to give, give the Lakers the most trouble in a, in a seven, seven game playoff series. That's interesting. I, I, my answer in the West used to always be the Clippers just because they have so many different wings that they can throw at LeBron just to try to make his life more difficult, more disrupted and all that. And the Lakers offense is so built around LeBron. So if you, if you screw up what he's doing, you screw up a lot of what they're doing, but the Clippers have been so all over the place this season. And in particular, they have been bad in close games. Like they, they have really, really struggled to, to close out. So in that sense, they don't seem quite as intimidating, but on paper, I, I think they are very well matched to try to specifically go at the Lakers in a way that makes sense in terms of the East. I, 
I think right now you have to say Philly. Just, I mean, they're playing the best. I think of any team, in, they're playing the best of any team in the East that I think also can give you the most trouble on both sides of the ball. And, you know, Embiid is playing out of his mind. Ben Simmons can go at LeBron defensively and, again, make him work. They've got some shooting to space the floor. I, I think the Lakers are deeper than the Sixers, and they obviously have more championship experience. But they're playing really, really well. And I, I, I think they've got, they've got some players that can make things difficult for both LeBron and AD, and that's obviously going to be the key to messing up the Lakers in a series. What do you think about uh, what do you think about uh, Brooklyn, Brian? And 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 who who would you look at as the teams and saying, hey, I'm more pro Brooklyn than Andy. Andy's coming around on Brooklyn. I am I am more pro Nets. I think than certainly than Andy is. They they have shown that they can play enough defense down the stretch in fourth quarters, at least in the regular season. What I think is fascinating about them is their offense, and this is without Durant, is so good that I think it puts an enormous pressure mentally on, on the opponent to feel like they have to score every trip down the floor, particularly in the fourth quarter. Because you know, even if you play great defense, Kyrie Harden, Durant are going to get buckets against good defense no matter what you do. There's going to be a, a bunch of trips where you do everything right and they still score. Mentally, I think that that is a difficult thing to deal with. So you go down to the other end, you start pressing, you know, your offense doesn't work quite as well. I don't know what that means in the playoffs when when teams can scout a little bit more, when you have, uh, you know, players who are a little bit more seasoned, a little more used to that kind of thing. But I will say I worry about the Lakers offense against the Nets offense. Like I, I feel like, you know, the, the Lakers defense is great. But I feel, to some degree, the Nets' offense might just be a little bit unstoppable to some degree. So I would look at a series like that as can the Lakers score enough to keep up with the Nets, even if they can put a dent in what Brooklyn's able to do. I am more, I am a little more frightened by Brooklyn because of all that star power than I am Philly, even though I think Andy is right. As a pure X's and O's matchup, Philly presents a better um, kind of on-paper how to beat the Lakers kind of matchup than Brooklyn does. What about in the West out of you? Like you got Utah Phoenix, as, as Andy mentioned, the, the Clippers, the Nuggets are, are looking like they're starting to turn things around now, seven and three over their last 10. But like, I, I like Phoenix too. I, I think with the, with the way that team's coached and, and how they've been playing recently, they're up to second tied with the Lakers for, for second in the West. Is there any team, uh, Brian, you look at in the Western conference that you're like, that's going to be a tough matchup come playoff time. I think they're all good. And uh, you guys can tell me if you think I'm, I'm off on this. I don't, I don't look at any team in the West other than maybe, maybe, maybe the Clippers and say this team sets up to beat the Lakers well. I mean, the Clippers have you know good wing defenders that they can put on LeBron and uh, put pressure on the Lakers offense, I think, in ways – or excuse me, Lakers defense that, that could be difficult. But overall, I feel like in the West, any of those teams could beat the Lakers. I think Utah a little bit less so, Denver a little bit more. Clippers certainly, and I don't think Phoenix is sort of a wild card. I think they're all capable of beating the Lakers if the Lakers don't shoot well, um, if they go through these sort of offensive droughts. And I feel like to some degree that's less about the team that they're playing and more just about the general inconsistency and level of their players, particularly their shooters. So 
they're all good enough to beat the Lakers, but I still feel it's a little bit more about LA than it is about those teams in the matchups. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that because I, I'm looking at it like, and I've said this a lot on the podcast each week that, that I'm hosting is, is I'm not really like the Utah jazz. Like, you know, we're saying this, I'm not, I don't think that they're going to, they might make the, the second round. They might even make the conference finals, but it's almost like Denver last season. And even going to that championship series against Miami, I'm like, look, the heat might take one or two games. They're not beating the Lakers in a seven game series. If the Lakers are fully healthy. And that's mm-hmm. the way I, I look at the, I look at the West too. It's like, none of these teams have proven that they can do it when it counts. And you got, two of arguably the best five, depending on where you stand on Anthony Davis, two of the best five players in, in the NBA on the Lakers and, and LeBron James, to me, still the best player in the league. So I, I'm not really looking at, at the Western Conference. Like, you know, I'm scared of those. But like you mentioned, Philly, Brooklyn, and it's it, it was interesting for me to hear, neither of you guys mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks. They won nine out of their last 10. Oh, yeah, I know. So, they're good. They're really yeah. good. I, I I was just thinking, you know, Andy talked about Philly. You asked me about um about brooklyn milwaukee's very good and when they have drew holiday i mean part of that swoon that they had where people were like oh the the bucks are are they're not all there it's because drew holiday is excellent you know he's part of the reason that defense can be effective he's a very good two-way player and he wasn't playing because he had COVID. so you know put him back in the lineup and lo and behold they're good again yeah they're gonna be they're gonna be a a handful what, what, what do you think about that well i mean I- they're obviously they're a really good team and like Brian I'm a huge Drew Holiday fan and and I think he makes a big difference with them I need to see Milwaukee and I guess specifically uh Budenholzer make better adjustments in the playoffs like I, I just need to see it happen because that just that's been a big problem for them whether you want to think that it's more related to the personnel that they had or Budenholzer himself combination of both whatever it hasn't been taking place in the postseason. The postseason is all about adjustments. And I mean, cliche as that sounds, it's true. And if you if you want evidence of it, look at the Lakers last season and all the different things Vogel did over the course of four rounds. And you just need to see that first before you truly buy into Milwaukee. But on paper, absolutely, they're a threat. Phoenix, if this was like their third year with this particular group, I would say absolutely they're a threat to take out the Lakers. I just don't think they're experienced enough. Like, like other than yeah. Chris Paul and I guess like Jay Crowder, there is not much of any playoff experience on that team. And I, I just think they're too raw to, to take out a team like the Lakers or maybe even a team like Utah or the Clippers that have just collectively have way, way more experience in this type of situa- situation. I think they're a legitimately good team. I just think generally speaking, you know, not always, but generally that lack of experience starts coming through. So that that's really where I don't buy into Phoenix, but I do think they're, they are really good with Utah. I think what really is going to screw with them against the Lakers in a potential series is it will be so much easier for Anthony Davis to get Rudy Gobert off the court than vice versa. Mm-hmm. And if you take Rudy Gobert out of certain situations, you know, Utah, they're good defensively, but they're just different without him. And I, and I think the Lakers are going to be able to find ways to exploit. Right. And who do you put on LeBron for seven right. games? Yeah, there's that as well. 
Well, that's it's it's interesting. I, I looked this up and I was because I was I'm like a ever since the Carl Malone John Stockton days, I just not like the Utah Jazz. You know what I mean? So it's just like a personal thing. So I was looking. You've up got this company. Stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of people. LeBron I mean, actually with a nice little dig that he gave at. Uh, well, I mean, they, look, game. they're not fun. I mean, what the hell's been fun about the Jazz like ever? Like, Nothing. they're not entertaining. They're not fun. Well, you know who's fun? You know who's fun on the JC? Yeah, Jordan Clarkson's fun. Mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson's fun. But, I mean, that's a heavy lift for one guy. This is probably the, can't put the, all that the funnest him. team they've ever had. Yeah. yeah but Donovan Mitchell's fun. Yeah, you know what? He's more exciting than fun. He's not fun. I wouldn't say Donovan Mitchell's fun. I'd say he's exciting. Okay, he's yeah, JC's fun, though. Jo- oh, Jordan Clarkson's fun. Jordan yeah. Clarkson is just just go through that dude's DMs. He's fun. <laughs> I would all you know what we're gonna maybe we'll get him on a podcast one time in the in the off season. Um, but is it? I was gonna say I was looking back at this like over. It's been over the last forty seasons. Only four teams have won uh, an NBA championship that didn't win a round in the playoffs the season before. And I think that you know the Lakers were were the one last season. Uh, the Warriors, I believe, from 2013-14 when they won it in 15. And then the Celtics was another one of those teams. So I look at it, and like you guys are mentioning, like postseason basketball is just a different beast in its own. And, you know, we're talking about Milwaukee and the lack of adjustments from the coaching staff. It's like those little things, that's where I'm looking at the West. It's like, okay, yeah, the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard. He's the guy on the team that's gotten it done. Two finals MVPs. Uh, anybody else there, it's like, which one, you know, these guys, none of these teams really have the experience to be able to go into that. And, and again, you're going to have to beat LeBron James and hopefully a healthy Anthony Davis four times out of seven. That's not easy to do if, you, well, if you've never been there before. Do you mind if I break some news on your podcast? Yeah, of course. Or, or share some broken news? I, yeah. I didn't do it. I was about to say, thing. you're not, whatever the news is, you're not the one breaking. No, it. I, I didn't do a damn thing, but it actually relates <laughs> to what we have been talking about over the Ooh, course. Oh, I see show. it. I saw it now too. Yeah. Per Woj. Houston trading PJ Tucker, Kurus, Kurus, Rodion's Kurus, and a twenty twenty the Bucks twenty twenty two first round pick back to Milwaukee for DJ Augustine, DJ Wilson, two thousand twenty three unprotected first round pick. Houston also gets the right to swap its twenty twenty one second round pick for Milwaukee's first round pick unless it falls one through nine. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Does that does that move the needle at all for you guys in the East with with Milwaukee now? It's a lot of DJs. It is. It is <laughs> all the DJs. <laughs> I like I like the idea that Milwaukee got its pick back. I, I I find that exciting. It's helpful. I mean, PJ Tucker is an experienced. He's an experienced player that I think, assuming you think that his season this year is largely down because he wants to get the hell out of there and and who can blame him i i think he he's potentially quite helpful for them you know i I, he's he's a flexible player you can do a lot of different things with him and i think just from a from a basketball like a fan standpoint like just watching objectively i'm excited that at least you're looking at the eastern conference and there's three maybe four teams if you want to include miami who's turned it around lately too that you look at and say okay we don't know who's coming out of that conference and i I think you know when lebron was on cleveland obviously that was that was academic that his team is going to come out and then he's on miami but i think this is kind of good for for the league overall too yeah, I mean, so, look, I, tell, I, I don't know if Tucker's going to be good for Milwaukee or bad, but you know, I can tell you he's going to be a lot more useful than DJ Augustine and DJ Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and like Wilson, when he's had a chance to play, it's not been terrible, but he's not, that's not going to be what makes Milwaukee more competitive. And so, yeah, like you say, it's like, you know, a better Milwaukee team um, to go out and compete. If Tucker 
re-energized and reinvigorated gives them something. Milwaukee is better. That makes the Eastern Conference more competitive. It's good. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. All the DJs. Are there any other DJs that could have been put in that deal? Like anywhere? I think that's it. Is that it? Every well, we I, we recently learned uh, we recently learned through Frank uh, per Frank Vogel that I guess Damian Jones is nicknamed DJ because there were a couple pregames. Uh, Frank Vogel said that, that DJ was going to be starting. I swear, I mean, this really just let you knew that we had been a gone from basketball for a while, and B time is just a blur. I I, I spent like fifteen minutes going, who the hell's DJ? I was like, who is that? Is that like a nickname for like somebody? <laughs> I, I couldn't remember who he was even talking about. And turns out it's, it's Damien Jones. <laughs> Jory Craig headed to Phoenix as well. Ooh. That didn't really work out for them. I think they had high hopes for Tory Craig. Yes. He doesn't really make yeah. much of an impact. Yeah. We do want to, we're going to wrap up on this. I'm with you guys. I think we're going to look at, we're looking at the NBA as a whole right now. And again, I think all three of us are hopeful. Anthony Davis is back and healthy and we're going to get to see how this all plays out. Cause I, 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 again, I think for the first time in a long time for me, there's maybe seven, eight teams you're looking at that. Okay. One of these teams, like, you know, it's not like years past where it's three or four teams that, you know, are going to compete for the championship. I think this season it's a little bit more wide open, but I just want to talk about your guys' career path. Cause like I mentioned it off the top, you guys have been kind of staples in the LA sports media scene for quite some time. And, and we were talking a bit before we started rolling, you guys have been doing this kind of full time since, since 2005. And uh, Brian, I'll start with you on this. What is your guys' like career path been like, and, and how has it been being in the sports media industry for, for almost two decades now? Huh? Um, well, I will say this. It's been, a, we, we have had a weird one. Neither one of us ever set foot in like a journalism class. Um, like we didn't go work for like the, the small paper and work our way up or anything. Like we, we kind of, we had a very unorthodox entry into, into sports media. So, you know, it, 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 it almost snuck up on me at least that like, this was something that I did for a living. Um, the, you know, it, it's cool. I mean, we've seen a lot of, a lot of great stuff. We've been around a lot of neat things and that's, that's part of. You sound uh, like Rudger Hauer at the end of Blade Runner dying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was like, you know, I was asked about like the 20 year retrospective, of, you know, I'm Brian on your up. way out of sports media. <laughs> yeah. what, you know, I'm just trying to pull up his speech. <laughs> I just, I do want to thank everyone for the time that they've given us uh, over the years. I it's, it's, it's a, it's just a, you know, honestly, it's just, it's such a weird time to be in sports media because sports are strange, first of all. And then, you know, uh, I think there's just so much uncertainty around media generally um, that, you know, I, I didn't mean to bring everyone down. <laughs> I'm just kind of, I, I don't know. I mean, Andy, what do you think? It's just like, we, we got into it in such a strange way. It's such a strange time. Uh, and so much has changed over 15 years or however long we've been doing it. It's kind of hard to put, kind of put it all in perspective. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. That's right. Tax ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All of those moments will be lost in time, like tears and rain. Time to die. 
Yeah, basically that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a melancholy way to end it, but okay, you know. But I, I, one one last question for both, and and Andy, I'll start with you on this. Is you're you're looking at this time now? What what do you think is the most important thing? Like you guys have have stayed up to date with the, the changing technology that, you know what I mean? Going from traditional, you know, being on the radio and, 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 you know, writing to you guys doing the late night happy hour, like I mentioned uh, each night on the, on the, on the weekdays, what, what has that been like, like for you guys learning the different technology and, and being able to kind of stay relevant while things have changed so much, especially over the last 10, 15 years. I mean, the advice I would try to give anybody in what, like Brian said, has become a very volatile industry. And look, a lot of industries these days have become pretty volatile. But I would say try to stay ahead of curves. You know, it's find something that you're really good at and build out that niche from that place of strength. But as you're finding that place of strength and building off it, really look to stay ahead of things so you can shift pretty seamlessly. Because this industry requires you to do a lot of shifting. I mean, I, I think Brian and I have been reasonably good at it. You know, I mean, I, I think if nothing else, we've demonstrated the ability to do a lot of different things reasonably well, but it's hard, you know, and it's very difficult to stay ahead of it while also really carving out that niche. So I, I, I think it, the advice I would give to anybody listening to this that's thinking about getting into this industry other than really thinking it over hard um, is just what do you think, what do you think is the, the lane that you fill really well? And then from there, how can you parlay that lane and did different things? Mm -hmm. And I think in that sense too, it's like, don't, and you can't think of it in what is going to be the thing that makes me famous? What is going to be the thing that gets me to, like you have to pick the thing because what, what is good and what is popular, it shifts very quickly. Like Andy says, you have to be willing to pivot and adjust and do stuff, but it's okay to be niche. Like there are a lot of guys who have grown in prominence by figuring out a niche that's very interesting to them that maybe even doesn't seem like it's got a lot there. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, it does. Like there are a lot of people who are interested. And one of the benefits of the web is you can find these little micro communities that can support you. You know, you don't need 2 million people to follow you on something to make money. If you have 15,000 you know, people who are really interested in what you do um, and maybe don't get that somewhere else. You know, I, I think of people like Larry Kuhn and Eric Pincus and and guys like that who have built real like you know careers that have taken them into NBA circles and you know consultants with you know with NBA teams out of developing expertise that other people didn't have around the around the salary cap. Somebody like um, Pete Pete Zayas you know has developed mm -hmm. you know a really devoted following and now works for the Lakers because he was really good at and he kind of helped create and ride this wave of video based analysis. Um, that was something that, you know, it wasn't as big of a thing now, but now a lot of people are doing. And so you find that niche of the thing that you're good at, and that has to be interesting to you. And it has to be something that you care about. And that the hope is that if you care about it, that there are enough other people out there who care about the same thing. And so that I think is, is one way to do it. You know, like Andy says, it's like, it's impossible to keep up with every trend on you know that that pops up technologically and the temptation is to try um you have to be a little bit lucky you have to be a little bit selective 
and sort of do your best, but understand there's a ton of failure that goes into this. Um, and there's a ton of sort of uncertainty. And the other thing I would say is if you're a writer, really, really try hard not to give away the product for free. Make people pay you for your work. That applies to everything, but you know, we approach things a lot of times from the perspective of writers. Try to get people to pay you for what you do. Don't give it away. Uh, it's a, and like you guys mentioned, it's it's been like, I mean, I started off in this industry back in, in 2012 and, you know, I started off as a radio guy and I've been like, okay, I have to kind of branch out and do other things in order to make myself more employable. Because as you guys know, for those people who don't know, yeah, unless you're like a Max Kellerman or Stephen A. Smith, the money in, the money in, in radio isn't that great. You know what I mean? So oh? long term, yeah, <laughs> right. So anybody who knows that, but uh, this has been awesome. Getting I don't know how the hell I ended up in this mansion, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe the, maybe the sell, radio money wasn't good I for sell you. a ton of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a lot, but that's good. I mean, like that's the side hustle. It's yeah. good to have a side hustle. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a windy road, but I mean, for myself too, and I know you guys, like I mentioned, you've, you've done a great job just keeping yourself relevant. You. you guys are our, our, our go-to source for, I know a lot of people and people enjoy your guys' show. So I want to thank you guys both for, for joining me on this podcast. It's been super fun. Not only talking Lakers, but, but getting to you guys, know, uh, getting to know you more personally as well. Uh, awesome. Appreciate thank you. you having us, man. Thanks. All right, that's Brian and Andy Kamenitsky. You can catch them on Twitter at Cam Brothers. That's with a K. And don't forget, you can watch their late night happy hour comes on with on their Twitter feed. You can check it out every night at 10 between Monday and Friday. And also on um, the Believe Podcast Network, they have the Land of Lakers pod, so you can check it out, out there. Don't forget, before we wrap up, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us, like I mentioned, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your fix. And of course, silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs throughout the season. That does it for this episode. I'll talk to you all again next week. Thank you.